Everybody say, rise up and build. We've been going through the book of Nehemiah, reflecting on this concept because we believe in the theme, whole church. Anybody still believing in the theme, whole church? Whole church means that we are going to be healthy, complete, mature. The book of Nehemiah deals with this concept of restructuring, returning, rebuilding, and restoring. And the, the, per, the specific verse that we've been looking at as our theme verse is Nehemiah 4, 6, where it says the people had a mind to work. They had a mind to work. They were willing to get involved. How many of you are willing to get involved with what God is doing? And so we've talked about the, the prayer of Nehemiah. And the first week we talked about the posture of Nehemiah. So today we want to talk about the provision of Nehemiah. And the text of the scripture is found in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9, where Nehemiah says, speaking autobiographically, he says, And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Everybody say, I have a need. Look at someone around you say, neighbor, I have a need. Next Sunday, the 92nd Academy Awards ceremony will take place at Adobe Theater in Los Angeles, California. And this award show is also known as the Oscars. Does anybody watch the Oscars whenever they come on? Y'all don't watch TV, y'all praying, y'all really holy. I, I get it, I get it. Now, now, as a film fan, I have to admit to you that I love the Oscars. And it's not because I care that much who wins. That doesn't affect me at all. How many of you know that no matter who wins, it don't affect me one bit? But because I love to celebrate great narratives and storytelling. As a matter of fact, I believe that society is shaped by the stories that we tell. And last year, in 2019, there were some amazing stories that were told on the big screen. There were a number of great movies that came out, but one of them stands head and shoulders above the rest for me. I haven't seen all the movies. I didn't get a chance to see that many this year. But there is one movie that I had the privilege of watching, and that movie has transformed the way that I view society. It's a movie called Parasite. Has anyone seen the movie Parasite? Okay, I'm giving you a suggestion here. Go watch the film Parasite. Parasite is a foreign language film that was directed by the genius Korean filmmaker named Bong Joon-ho. And I know what you're thinking, Pastor, why are you watching a horror movie? That's what you're thinking, right? You're thinking, Parasite, this must be a horror film. Stay with me here. It's not a horror film. The idea of Parasite is actually a metaphor. It's a genre-bending metaphor about uh, society and class. It's a thriller. It's a drama. It's a comedy. And the name references two families. These two families are symbolized by a father and a son on the right side of this poster, and then a couple with their young son on the left side. And Parasite juxtaposes first the right side family, the Kim family. They live in a small basement apartment working low-paying temporary jobs and struggling to make ends meet. And they're contrasted with the Park family. Now, the Park family is completely different. They're wealthy. They live in the opulent part of town without any major needs. They don't need anything. They have all their needs and their wants met. And the stunning interactions between the Park family, who is wealthy, and the Kim family, who is not wealthy at all, it sets the stage for this film, Parasite. And it is a brilliant commentary on class and society 
on needs and wants, on the haves and the have-nots. And it takes an honest look at a family that has a need and contrasts them with a family who doesn't need anything. How many of you know that sometimes having a need will drive you to do extreme things? How many of you know that, that having an extreme need, it will drive you to do desperate things? Have you ever had a need, church? Have you ever had a real need? I'm not talking about something that, that would have been nice if it happened. I'm not talking about something that would have been a great additive or a want or a Christmas list. I'm talking about a serious need. Anybody ever had a need in here? Is there anyone honest enough to admit, just me and you, nobody else is watching, I, I, Pastor, I got a need right now. I have a need deep down in my soul. I have a need in my body. I have a need in my finances. Somebody say, I have a need. You know, there are needs all around us. There are needs everywhere in our community. And it would be remiss of us as the church, as the ones who are assigned to advance the kingdom of God in the world the kingdom of God on earth, to turn a blind eye to the needs of our society. Do you know everybody can, can be involved, can participate in the needs of our community? Can I share some of these needs with you? Can I share some of these needs with you? Come stay with me. Stay with me now. First need that I want to talk about is food insecurity. It is estimated that there are 14% of people in the state of Florida that live in food insecure conditions, food deserts. But that number is higher in Escambia County. That number is 19% in Escambia County. It also includes 17% of children. They live in a place or they have a certain, uh, they have a certain situation that basically means at one point in time or another this year, they will not know where their next meal comes from. How many of you know they have a need? That's right in our community. There's a need of poverty in our community. The Kids Count report, it says that roughly 16,000 of Escambia County's estimated 62,000 juveniles live in poverty. The poverty rate for black children in Escambia County is about 46%. Think about that. Almost half of the children who look like you and me in this county live in poverty. How many know they have a need? There's also a need for health care. Escambia County, it's home to 30,000 to 40,000 uninsured residents, people without health insurance. How many know they have a need? The Florida Child Well-Being Index, it ranks Pensacola, Escambia County, number 47, get this, 47 out of 67 counties as it relates to child welfare and well-being. How many know our children have needs? And if you've been paying attention, if you've been watching the news, if you're any way informed, you know that we have experienced an uptick in a rash of violence that is causing anxiety and fear and trepidation for all members of our community. How many know our community has a need for peace? And maybe none of these affect you. Maybe you're saying I'm good. Maybe you're saying I'm insured. Maybe you're saying all the people in my family circle or my family unit, we're doing fine. But, but I would guess you have a need too. Maybe your need isn't as tangible. Maybe you just need some peace. Maybe you need joy, church. Maybe you need to be able to sleep at night. Maybe you need fulfillment. Maybe you need satisfaction. Whatever it is, whoever is sitting in this house, I believe that each one of us has a need. Somebody say, I have a need. 
As much as we would like to think that we don't, everyone has needs. And so as we think about our needs, where do we go to get our needs provided for? Where do we go when we have a desperate, extreme need that needs to be addressed? Where can our community go? How many of you know that there is a God who meets needs? How many know that there is a God who shows up in our time of desperation? How many know that there is a God who meets us when we are in extreme need? And that's the God we want to talk about today. The God of provision. Everybody say provision. Before we get into this in Nehemiah chapter 2, I do want to define what provision is. Take a look at this definition. Provision is God supplying us with every resource that we need, get this, to do what he has called us to do. Provision is God supplying us with every resource that we need to do what he's called us to do. Now, I put here in the notes that it's different from wealth or status or salary. Some of those things are not necessarily connected to what God has called us to do. That might be different. You might need money to do what God has called you to do, or you might not. You might need some other things to do what God has called you to do. But how many of you believe that God has called you to do something? How many of you believe you have a purpose today, church? If you are breathing under the sound of my voice, you have a purpose from God. God has specially crafted something for you to do. Look at your neighbor say, neighbor, you have a purpose. Look at your other neighbor say, neighbor, you have a purpose. And Nehemiah had a purpose. His purpose was to rise up and build, to galvanize the people of Israel, to rebuild the wall around the city. And Nehemiah was placed in a position, a position of need, a position of desperation. And Nehemiah needed God's provision. So I want to share with you four provision principles. I want you to take out your pen or your notes app on your phone. I want you to write these principles down as I give them. Because if you're desiring for God to meet a need, you have to posture yourself in the same way that Nehemiah did. Number one, the first provision principle is this. Watch this. Process before provision. Everybody say process before provision. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 1. Very interesting. You're probably going to miss this, but I want you to stay with me. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, Nehemiah is the cupbearer, right? He's the person that is assigned to hand deliver all the king's needs, all the king's wants. He's also designed to drink the wine before it gets to the king to make sure that the king's not going to be poisoned, right? Again, it's not a job that we would want. But he's also the quality control specialist of the king's court. So he's giving the wine to the king. But it says something interesting, and I underlined it up here on the slides, in the month of Nisan. Now, this doesn't mean anything to us, but if you go back to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, it says the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year. Now, Kislev and Nisan are different months. Now, again, we don't have this same calendar, so we wouldn't understand what this means. But the gap between Kislev and Nisan, watch this, is four months. So Nehemiah found out about the need in Kislev. And then four months later, he's in the place where he can address the need. How many know Nehemiah had to go through a process before he could get God's provision? 
And I fear that there are a lot of people in life who believe that God is some genie in a bottle, that all you need to do is pray once and believe once, and then God's going to give you everything that you want. That's not how the kingdom of God works, church. The kingdom of God works on the principle of process. Everybody say process. Process means you wait and you are consistent in everything you need to do before God can bless you with the provision that you need. How many of you know that process is important? How many of you know that that's why we ask you to be consistent? That's why we ask you to constantly be in the presence of God because process is the thing that always precedes provision. You know, see, most of us, we believe that God is for us. Most of us, we believe that God is with us. Most of us believe that God is going to provide for us, but we are not willing to endure God's process. The process of God. What has God called you to do that you would rather see the manifestation of than wait for? What has God called you to do that you feel like is taking too long? Anybody ever had God apparently, supposedly, according to someone, promise you something, and then it took a while before you saw the manifestation of that? Anybody honest enough to admit, I'm waiting for something now that I've been waiting for for years, and sometimes I got to side-eye God and say, have you forgotten about me? You, you seem to be blessing my neighbor. You seem to be blessing my sister or my brother, but God, I'm in need. Somebody say process. God loves to reward people who are committed to the process. Nehemiah 1 tells us that Nehemiah was in his room praying, weeping, and fasting for four months before he got an audience with the king. God's promises, watch this, write this down. God's promises are not time-specific. God's promises are not time-specific, which means these, that's a double-edged sword. It means that there's no statute of limitations on God's promises because he's the same yesterday. Wait, hold up. He's the same. That means God's promises yesterday are still applicable tomorrow, right? That means that just because God promised someone else something doesn't mean that he can't do it for you. So there's no statute of limitations on God's promises, but the other side of that sword is that you don't know when God is coming. You don't know when God is going to show up. You don't know when God is going to show out. You don't know when God is going to provide. That's why God says, you must meet me in the process. Recently, um, I was at a meeting with a few of our church leaders and Elder Thomas Archie and Elder Jackie Miles, they referenced this, this phenomenon. And it, and it so fascinated me that I had to look it up. And they referenced this idea of the Chinese bamboo tree. Have you ever heard of this? The Chinese bamboo tree, it operates and requires nurturing, water, fertile soil, sunshine. But there's no growth in the first few years. The first year, you plant and you water and you monitor, and you nurture. But in the first year, there's no growth. Anybody ever had a word from God, and then the first year there was no growth? Anybody ever believed a promise of God, and you didn't see the manifestation? Anybody thought 2019 was your year, and it turned out it was not your year? You think 2020 is your year, and then January passes, you're like, uh, 
what's going on here? In the first year, there is no growth. Well, that's fine because, you know, sometimes it takes a little while. But in the second year, no growth. Anybody ever had to wait two years for something? Third year, no growth. Fourth year, no growth. Fifth year, no growth. You know what's so interesting about this, though? What's interesting is a lot of us abort our process, get outside of our process because of how it looks on the outside to everybody else. Oh, you're not growing. I thought it was your year this year. I thought you were going to be advancing. You still believe in God for that promotion? You know, you've been believing for about six, seven years now. You know, you've still been in that same spot that you've been in this entire time. And what will happen is we'll pluck up our seed when God is developing something underneath the soil. We don't see it. We don't see what he's doing because in the sixth year, the Chinese bamboo tree, it grows 80 feet in six weeks. 80 feet in six weeks. That's how provision works. You're waiting in the process. You're waiting for God to show up. You're praying and you're crying and you're being consistent. And then all of a sudden, God accelerates your process, not because of what you did, but because now he can see you believe the process over the provision. Somebody say process. Process always precedes provision. You must be committed to the process. God's promises, church, they're not time-specific. If you're waiting for something, you need to continue to wait. Look at somebody around you and say process. Number two, write this down. Provision requires us to be in position. Provision requires us to be in position. Look at Nehemiah chapter uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. The end of verse 1, it says, He said, now I had not been sad, this is Nehemiah speaking, in his presence, in the king's presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Now, a couple of things to unpack here. The first is that Nehemiah lets us into a secret. He says, I haven't been sad in the presence of the king ever. Now, mind you, what's he been doing for the past four months? Praying and weeping and crying. So he's been doing all those things in private, but he hasn't let the public see what's going on in private. So Nehemiah has been in pain privately, but he can't show it publicly. Have you ever had to cry all night long and then wipe your tears and get up and go to work and smile and be highly functional? You ever had to cry in secret after your kids go to bed? You ever had to hide it from the people who you love? You ever felt like I can't really say everything that's going on because it's so heavy in my heart that if I verbalize it in public, I'll break down. Anybody know what that's like? To suffer in silence, to suffer in private, to weep when no one else can dry your tears. That's what Nehemiah was doing. But watch this. Nehemiah was still faithful even when he was in pain. Nehemiah played his position well. Nehemiah did not slack on his job just because he was going through something privately. And sometimes when we're in pain, we think that that's an excuse to get out of position to where God has called us to be. 
Nehemiah says, no, no, no. I've never been sad in front of the king. As a matter of fact, I'm going to hide it from the king. But sometimes, how many of you know it just comes out? You know, you can't hide it anymore. You have to let it go in a, in a healthy way. And Nehemiah built up a reputation. Somebody say reputation. The king could tell something was wrong because Nehemiah was so consistent. He was so faithful that now God had positioned him in the right place to get everything that he needed. Now, remember, Nehemiah came here via captivity. He didn't volunteer for this job. This is not something that he wanted. But Nehemiah did not despise where God had him. There is a prevalent idea in our day that we are supposed to be better than we are based upon the comparison of where everybody else is. We are supposed to be further along than we are with more money, with more success, with more opportunities for no other reason than you see someone else has it. Nehemiah could have easily looked at his buddy Ezra and said, Ezra has already been the recipient of blessings from the kingdom. Why can't I get those same blessings? I'm over here crying in private, and I want to do something for God too. But Nehemiah stays faithful to the place where God has him. Can I encourage you, church? You got to play your position. Where God has placed you, you stay until God says move. Where God has placed you, you don't look to the left or to the right. You don't shake with public opinion. You stay where God has you because the place, get this, the place where God has you is also your place of provision. You think provision is somewhere else. And God is like, no, provision is right next to you. Provision is in your vicinity. You just don't know it yet. Be careful, church. When you curse the job that you feel like you should have been passed. Be careful, church, when you talk down about the children that God blessed you with. Be careful, church, when you look at someone else's household and think that they've got it all made and you start coveting and envying what they have rather than thanking God for what he gave you. Be careful, church, when you look down on the place you are spiritually. Because it's not as glamorous, because other people have ministries, or other people can do certain things that you can't do. You better stay in your place. You better stay in your position, church. Don't get out of position. Look at somebody around you and say, don't get out of position. Provision requires us to be in the right place. It requires us to stay where God has us. Are you in the right position, church? Have you postured yourself in the right place? Have you accepted and been excited about what God is doing for you? Are you saying, God, I don't see it with my natural eyes, but I trust you. I'm going to stay in the process. I'm going to stay in my position. Number three, very important. Provision is about, watch this, the provider. Provision is about the provider. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, interesting passage. Nehemiah gets asked, what's wrong with you? He gets afraid. Now, he's afraid because if someone is sad in the presence of the king, the king has a right to kill them. Do you know that? You can't have an off day in that kingdom. It's a dictatorship. 
So basically, if you come in and you're downcast, the king says, oh, so you think that I'm not great. You think I'm not majestic. You think I'm not amazing. So you can't have an off day. Off with your head. So Nehemiah gets afraid because the king recognizes something that could get him in trouble. And then Nehemiah is honest enough to say, watch verse 3. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Now that's enough in that kingdom to get Nehemiah killed. That's enough right there. But watch what the king says, verse 4. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Here it is, Nehemiah. This is your great chance. This is your opportunity. Ask him for the farm. Do everything that he said to do. So Nehemiah just blurts it out. I got a laundry list of things. I've been waiting for you to say this. What does Nehemiah do? Watch this. So I pray to the God of heaven. I got in the presence of the king. I was honest with him. He didn't kill me. He didn't take my head off. He asked me, what did I want? This is God, ain't it? But he stops and turns to the king of kings. He says, wait a minute. No, no, no. I'm going to pray before I act in my own strength. Let me illustrate it for you like this. Uh, Leo, just come up here real quick. Come up here real quick. And um, Troy, Troy, come on up here real quick. Can you give them a hand? Give them a hand. Stand on this side. Uh, uh, first of all, and, and actually I want to give a second hand to Troy because yesterday was his birthday. Can you give it up for Troy? Yesterday was his birthday. Um, actually, you stand over here. And Troy, if you'll stand over here. Here, hold these keys and face each other. Now, Troy represents my human strength. Leotis represents Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. And he's got the keys to the provision that I need. God is watching you to see if you will prioritize him in the right ways. Nehemiah gets to face the king, the one who has all of the things in his hands. Nehemiah could have just asked and blurted out to the king, here's what I want. But what happens when you face your human strength? You turn your back on God. God's got the keys, but you turn your back on God to face your human means. And you know what God does then? He says, okay, put these in your pocket. He says, okay, you got it. See how it works out. So God's got the keys in his hands. But you think that your job is your source, so you put everything on your job rather than acknowledging that Jehovah Jireh is the one who really provided for you. So you get real close to your job, and you turn your back on the one who has all power in his hands. Oh, so, so, so you think that the relationship is going to work out based upon your human effort. You ain't got to pray. It's all about compatibility. It's all about match.com. So you lean hard into that. And you get real close to that, and God is like, I'm over here, and I've hand-selected someone for you that is going to advance your purpose. But you know what? It's all good. You got it. You got it. You believe that it's human means that gets you the promotion. You believe that it's human means that provides all the provision that God has for you. And so the further you get over here, 
the further away you get from the source. And God, watch this, God is watching us to see if you're going to prioritize him. Now, watch this. It's not just in times of trouble. It's also in times of success. That's where it really gets testy. Because now you don't have any immediate needs. Now you're not desperate. Now it's not extreme for you. And so God says, when I bless you with the keys, pass me the keys. When I bless you with the keys, are you going to forget the one who gave them to you? That's why he says, not in your own strength so that anybody, any man can boast. Here you go. God, thank you for what you gave me. And we walk away from God, turn our back on him, and get further and further away from the source of our provision. When times are going good, are you still facing him? When times are going bad, are you still getting next to him? When times are down, are you still staying in proximity to his presence? Because you realize, watch this, you realize these keys don't belong to me. Just because God opened up the door for you don't mean he gave you possession of all the keys. Nah. They belong to God. They belong in his presence. And here's the thing. God is always going to test your priorities. He is always going to test whether or not you're willing to trust him. Put the keys behind your back. It's my favorite. When you know God got the keys and you're facing him, but you can't see him. God, you made me a promise. And he's like, yeah, I did. Okay, so where are my keys at? Silence. Where are my keys at, God? Where are my keys at? Where are my keys at? Where are my keys at? You know what? This presence of God thing don't work. Let me move over here. Do you trust God enough that when he puts you in a position, you say, God, I'm going to stay focused where you are. And the job is calling me and the promotion is calling me and the human strength is calling me. But I'm going to stay positioned in the presence of God because provision is about the provider. The gift is about the giver. The love is about the source of love. The joy is about the wellspring of joy. The peace is about the prince of peace. And it's going to work for a while. It'll work for a long time. We have this misnomer in society that if you're successful, that means God has his hand on you. Kingdom of God believes it too. Oh, I'm successful. I did everything. No, sometimes success is the very thing that's keeping you from seeing God the right way. Sometimes you're too successful to see God. Can I, can I keep going? This is why, this is why sometimes God don't give you everything when he shows up. He says, can you trust me for your daily bread? That means if he gave me the keys, I could go off and do my own thing. But he said, just take enough manna for today. Just take enough revelation for today. Because tomorrow, I'm going to need for you to be right back here. Because you're going to need something different than you needed the day before. It's about the provider, church. And too many of us have positioned our priorities to face humanity. We are believing Christians and functional atheists. 
We claim we believe in God and ain't no evidence that God is real. No evidence. We don't pray. We don't acknowledge him. We make decisions without his counsel. We don't petition for our marriage, our kids, our future. None of it. And we face humanity and we forget about the one who provides. Nehemiah said, nah, I might be in the presence of the king, but I just need to hold up and pause here because there's someone that outranks you. There's someone who's greater than you. There's someone whose arm is stronger than you. There's someone who is mightier than you. There's someone who is almighty. Provision is about the provider, church. If you want provision without him, do something else. But provision is about accomplishing everything that God has called you to do. One last thing. I want to I make this, this point. We can get so successful that we forget that God's provision is about the purpose he's called us to. Not about our advancement. So here's the thing. I've got an influx of money. I've got an influx of status. I've got an influx of acclaim. I've got an influx of human networks. Praise God for that. Thank you. But I, I've got everything I need now. And God is like, no, no, no. Just because you have stuff doesn't mean you have the right stuff for the purpose that I've called you to. He says, you don't just need money. You need favor. Why did Nehemiah get it? Because he had a reputation that was good? Because he'd been a cupbearer killing it? No, what does Nehemiah say? Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 9, our text, he says, the favor, the good hand of the Lord was upon me. Favor will take you some places money can't unlock for you. I know we keep saying that, but we need to believe that it's true, church. We need to be so wrapped up and tied up and tangled up in the presence of God that God says, see, I wanted you to get so close to me so you could see the keys that were right here. Reach out and grab them and use them and turn your back to the earthly means. Turn your back to the things in your hands and embrace the favor that I have for you. And I'm going to put my hands on you and it's going to unlock everything you need. Thank you all so much. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. It's about the provider, church. Jehovah Jireh, watch this. We always say it. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. What does the word Jireh mean? It comes from a root word which means to see. It means to see. So one, one, one theologian put it like this. God has prevision before he has provision. God is going to look and see your priorities to see if you have prioritized who he is before he can put it in your hands. I want God to feel like he can trust me. I want God to feel like I'm not going to turn my back on him. He believes I'm faithful. He believes I'm committed to the process because it's about the provider. Church, Do you believe it's about the provider? Do you believe that it's not about the contract you sign or the power in your hands or the connections that you have, but you got to stay in the presence of God? Look at somebody around you and say, stay in the presence of God. Say, stay in the presence of God. Don't turn to the left or to the right. Don't float with popular opinion. It's about the provider, church. Finally, it's not just about the provider. It's not just about proper positions, not just about the process. Watch this. This is the last one. You need to believe in the why more than the what. The why more than the what. 
Verse 5, Nehemiah 2. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then you send me to Judah, watch this, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah doesn't ask the king for the resources. He tells the king the vision. Nehemiah believed God's vision for his life more than he had a desperation for stuff. Nehemiah believed in the why, not just the what. Too many of us have positioned our lives to beg for things rather than believing in the purpose God has placed on us. Nehemiah got unlocked. He got the whole storehouse of the king unlocked. He got all the forests unlocked. He got all the connections unlocked, not because he was desperate for the what, but because he shared his why. What is your why, church? What is your purpose? What is your reason? Why do you exist? Last week, uh, around this time, maybe like an hour, hour and a half later, we were at a restaurant, and, um, you know, we were talking. It was a whole Burns clan. We were at the restaurant. We were broken up into our separate conversations, and I just happened to pull out my phone, and I scrolled real quick, and one of my friends had posted this quick status. And, you know, I've, I've become accustomed to what social media is, right? Social media is a place of hoaxes. Social media is a place of jokes. Social media is a place of recklessness. And so I scrolled through and I saw that someone had posted, is this Kobe news true? And I was like, man, I don't know what they're talking about, but he good. And I scrolled down and I saw two more people with posts. Is this true about Kobe? Is Kobe okay? And I said, uh-oh, it must be true. Not because three people had said it, but because the way the internet works, the rumors will be isolated. So I'm like, if a lot of people are corroborating it, something must have happened. So I was in mid-conversation with my father, and I said, hang on one second. And I went and I saw a report that says he died in a helicopter crash. Kobe Bryant. I racked my brain as we were sitting there after I talked to the family. We sat in silence reflecting because it was so crazy to me that he was gone. I could not believe that he was gone. Because Kobe was the guy who I had watched growing up. I'd hated him at first. I couldn't stand the Lakers. Couldn't stand them. They had Shaq. And, yeah, you feel me? Yeah, you know, they had Shaq. He was just bigger than everybody, and he didn't really work out in the offseason. And then he shows up, and he's, you know, flexing his muscles. I'm like, man, you ain't even. And he gets up there with the free throws, and it don't work, but he still wins. I'm like, that ain't fair. But I was fascinated by Kobe. I was fascinated by him because he was this unkillable character on the court. You had to bury Kobe Bryant to beat him. You couldn't give him a shot at the end. And this 41-year-old man who was not, no longer in the prime of his career, but he was in the prime of his life. He was in the prime of his career after his career. He had just won one of those Oscars that I was talking about. He had just won a daytime Emmy. He had just won all these things. Kobe had the world at his fingertips. But you know what's interesting about Kobe? 
is that the saddest thing about his passing is not that he passed, but that he passed with his daughter. There were nine people on the helicopter. There were three or four families that their lives were changed forever. But the number one thing that people say about Kobe now, the number one thing is not all those accomplishments over the course of a 20-year career. It's not all those accomplishments and things that he's done. The main thing people are talking about is that Kobe found his why. If you know basketball, then you know that Kobe was a maniacal competitor. Wild. So much so, he competed off the court too. They said he competed to see who could sign the most basketballs in the autograph sessions. He competed to see who could drink their coffee the fastest. He would put down bets on games on Laker Plains, board games. He would rap battle Shaq and Brian Shaw to see who had the best rhymes, to see who could diss their opponent. Kobe was competitive. He was maniacal. And everybody said, well, when Kobe retires, he's not going to know what to do with himself. He's going to be miserable, but yet it seemed like he was the happiest he'd ever been. Vince Carter said that he talked with Kobe about retirement. And Kobe said, you ready to retire? Vince said, I don't think so. I still got to keep playing. Kobe said, nah, man, you're going to love it. I'm the happiest I've ever been. The time I get to spend with my daughters, it gives me life. I've never seen him smile so big than when he was with his daughters. Not when he won a championship, not when he won finals MVP, not when he won league MVP. He found his why. And now his whole legacy is rewritten. It's different. We don't reference his NBA accomplishments. We reference him being a father. He went through a lot in his early career. He made some mistakes. He did some things he shouldn't have. He had his ups and downs. He's talked about it very publicly. But you know where he was that morning when he passed away? Church. He went to church before he got on that helicopter. He took his daughter to church with him. And I said, maybe it was a one-time thing. No, the, the pastor of that parish, he says, no, Kobe's here all the time. He just sits in the back so nobody can see him, so he's not making a distraction. But I know Kobe, he's been consistent here. Kobe found his why. He had billions, close to $2 billion in assets. Money everywhere. Connections. One name that everyone would recognize. But it wasn't about the what. It was about the why. It would be remiss of us to look at Kobe and say, he's found his why when the people of God and the kingdom of God haven't found theirs. Are you sitting here and you're begging God for provision, for stuff, for things? And God is saying, why do you exist? What's your purpose? Why are you here? Do you know why I created you? Do you know why I put you here? Do, do you know why I set you up in the place that I set you up? What is your why, church? What is your why? Why do you exist? And I believe that Nehemiah shows us that the most important thing 
when it relates to provision is not the what, it's not the how, it's not the when, it's not the where, it's the why. Will you stand to your feet right now? Very, very quickly, stand to your feet. We're not going to end on a shouting note. We're going to end on a reflection note because I believe that God wants us to truly value where he has us. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I want you to think in the quietness of this moment. Do I know my why? Do I know my why? Do I know my purpose? Do I know the reason why I need provision? The reason why I need to be postured in the right way? The reason why I need to have a process? The reason why it's about the provider? Do I know my why? Will you lift up your hands right now? And I want you to ask God if you haven't already, why do you have me here? Too many of us are walking aimlessly through life. We're walking aimlessly through these moments, not thinking about what we're supposed to be doing, not thinking about why God has us here. And Nehemiah shows us, you want to rise up and build? You better know the reason why you're in it. You don't know it yet if you haven't read the story, but Nehemiah is going to face some opposition. Nehemiah is going to face some obstacles. Nehemiah is going to face some challenges. And when it gets rough, you better know why you signed up for it. You better know why you said yes, church. I want you to lift up a sound to the Lord. I want you to speak to him in your own way. Come on, let a sound lift up here. Talk to the Lord. Pray in your holy language. This is a moment between you and God to establish the reason why you exist, your purpose, your why. Some of you need to say, God, thank you for this purpose. I want to remind myself why you have called me to be here. Some of you need to say, God, reveal it to me. Show me what you have called me to do in this season of my life. There's a reason why I'm here. There's a reason why I'm in the situation I'm in. Come on, just a few more seconds. Lift it up to the Lord. Hallelujah. Have you found your why? Now I want you to transition. I want you to find someone. I want you to find a prayer partner. Somebody you didn't come with. I want you to find a prayer partner or two prayer partners. And I want you to touch and agree. This is not just an isolated situation. This is not just something where you're by yourself. I want you to find a person or two people. I want you to grab hands. And I want you to intercede on their behalf. Because some people, they don't have the confidence to walk in their why. They need the fellowship of the saints. They need the people around them to spur them on, to encourage them. Come on, lift it up. Lift it up. Pray for them. Say, I don't know what it is, God, but you know what it is. I don't know what they're going through, what they're struggling with, but would you send your divine provision right now, God? Send your divine resources right now. Send your divine opportunities right now, your networks, your favor. Come on, lift it up, lift it up. Let the sound of intercession fill this place. We have to acknowledge the provider. Acknowledge the provider. He is our source. 
Come on, come on. Just, just 30 more seconds. We're breaking stuff up. We're breaking stuff up in the atmosphere. Now turn your prayers into praise. Magnify the Lord. Shout to him. Let us exalt his name. Let us thank him for what he's going to do. Let us acknowledge that he's going to open the windows of heaven. The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to him. Listen to me. You have to remain expectant, church. See, sometimes it doesn't take a pastor praying for you, laying hands on you. Sometimes it just takes your neighbor. Just takes the body of Christ coming together. How I many you know we're in this together? Do you hear me? We're in this together, church. We're not isolated. I need you. You need me. And you have to remain expectant. Even in times of darkness, even in times of challenge, even in times of obstacles. How many of you say, I'm going to remain expectant? I'm going to keep expecting God to show up and show out. I'm not going to forget why he put me here. Father, we thank you that you have come to visit us today to remind us about your provision. It is good. It is true. It is right. I pray that we would posture ourselves to embrace the process, that we would not get out of position that we would never forget who the provider is. And God, may we always remember our purpose, our why for being here. Would you give us the favor of Nehemiah, God? The favor of your servant. Give us the favor of Nehemiah, God. That every meeting that our people step into, You've already gone before them to prepare the way. Every job interview that they apply for, you've already opened up the hearts of the employer. Every adverse situation that was supposed to take them out, you've already put a hedge of protection around them. We have confidence in you, God. You are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, the Lord who makes a way where there is no way. And we trust you, God. We trust you. We have a need, but you are the one who meets it. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, as you take your seats, why don't you put your hands together and thank God.